the New York mayoral race. How did our friend Wiener do? <laughs> he came in last, no surprise. I, I still find it shocking that 5% of Democratic voters in New York voted for Anthony Wiener. They either have a great sense of humor or are related to him. Uh, yeah. but it, I'd know, love to it, see it, some it of the spoiled ballots. There had to be a few good, um, good, good spoiled ballots in there with the name oh, in question. I, I but... can imagine some of the, the write-ins. But, you know, the, the, it really it had descended to farce on that day. The, the woman, what's her name, Leathers, you can't even make up her name. She was the one that he was sexting with after he supposedly said he wasn't sexting anymore. She was outside his victory party. That's what he built it, a victory party. And uh, so he had to sneak in the back door, and the whole thing was just ridiculous. But, but, you know, the New York race is far more interesting on a whole different other level, which is the guy that really ran away with it on the Democratic side, Bill de Blasio. He's, a, he's like the ombudsman for New York, and he is about as left wing of a candidate you would get in any kind of election in the United States in a mainstream setting. I put it this way, he's running to the left of the black candidate on race and class. And it was really striking that he came from nowhere. And obviously the Irish favorite, uh, Christine Quinn, the speaker of the uh, city council, and uh, also the, you know, like I said, she was the first openly gay candidate that had a real shot at winning a mayoral race in the United States. And she was way ahead in the polls about a year ago. And she came in a very disappointing third. And it really came down when you, when you, when you parse the votes, Jonathan, Cynthia, I mean, um, Christina was way too close to Mayor Bloomberg. This has become a referendum on Bloomberg and the type of city that New York has become under him. And frankly, de Blasio really capitalized on that because this guy is about as anti-status quo as you can come. He actually comes, he has a very interesting background. He's married to an African-American poet. They have obviously biracial kids. And his son, Dante, became sort of the the image of the campaign when de Blasio was languishing and way behind the front runners, he put out a TV ad showing his kid with his big Afro haircut. And I think you didn't have to say Trayvon Martin, but everybody thought it. You know, this, this kid could have been walking down the street. And that's a big issue. The, the New York cops are extremely aggressive, have been very aggressive in, in, in minority uh, communities, parts of Brooklyn, Bed-Stuy, the Bronx, South Bronx, and th- there's a lot of anger in those communities, and de Blasio has capitalized on that. He's not only said that, you know, it's a tale of two cities and, and a tale of two races and a tale of two classes. Mm-hmm. He's made it very clear he's going to rein in the cops, whereas all the other candidates were basically saying, oh, we love Ray Kelly, the commissioner, and we're going to keep him on and blah, blah. So you, it, there's really been a change in, in the culture in New York, and we didn't know it. Nobody noticed this until the votes. Uh, it's funny because I mean what you're describing is effectively a two fingers to Bloomberg. I mean they, they've just said we absolutely we, did, we didn't like what you stood for, Mister Billionaire. Uh, we're going to go for this guy instead. Do you know what really angered? And I hear this from friends in New York, even guys, people that like him. When he changed the uh, term limit laws and let himself stay in there for a third term, that turned off. You don't do that to New Yorkers. You don't change the goalpost. And that really angered people. And that's what killed Quinn, because there's the president of the city council. She backed him and let him do that. And instead of going out, if he had left after two terms, Jonathan, everybody would look at Bloomberg as a great guy, and he did a good job. But instead, he acted like an emperor. He acted like a megalomaniac. He acted like a billionaire, frankly. He changed the rules because he could. 
and New Yorkers are punishing him and anybody perceived as close to him as a result. I mean, from my looking at the numbers, de Blasio has, I mean, there's still a question whether there'll be a runoff. De Blasio is over 40% right now. Bill Thompson, who's the black, uh, identified as the black candidate, even though, he, like I said, he's slightly to the right on a number of issues compared to de Blasio, he is saying he will not drop out of the race. There's 70,000 paper ballots from all over the city, they have to count. So this thing is not over yet. That said, looking at the, I looked at the numbers really closely yesterday. If there's a runoff, the Blasio will kill Thompson. He will beat the living pants off him. And the question is, will he beat this guy Loda, who used to work for Bloomberg, the Republican candidate? And, you know, uh, New Yorkers have shown this sort of streak of having Republicans that they identify. You know, before Bloomberg, it was Rudy Giuliani. They identify, even though the, the, the city is extremely liberal, votes Democratic in all presidential elections, they, I think they like this idea of having a Republican in there as long as he's on the right side of social issues. Uh, so <laughs> a, 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 a socialist Republican. <laughs> Exactly, a socialist Republican, but not in the Irish context, as they say. No, 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 no such thing. Uh, look, we've had a lot of liberal lefty talk. Let's hey, balance way, it out with a bit I of right wing stuff. Um, KT McFarland. I, forget, I would, I would say on. that there are a lot of Americans here who would love to see Martin O'Neill as the next manager, and I'll tell you why. If you go through the from the Clinton administration right on up until right now with Richard Haas, who's back over there as the special envoy to Northern Ireland, Americans have always had this weird uh, obsession. With, uh, I mean, American policymakers have had this weird obsession with the idea of Ireland playing football as one country. That you know that the, the two football associations kind of represent that old Ireland. That that. You know, it's the only major sport that Ireland doesn't play as a, as a, as a single entity. Yeah. And at Martin O'Neill, being from the north, he's from a great place, a beautiful place called Kilray. And, you know, having had that background and having, you know, having, having a northerner as the manager of the Irish football team, American policies would sit there, policymakers would sit there, and so would I, and say, this makes the idea of Ireland playing as, a, as, as, as one country. In, in football championships are much more likely to happen down the road. Now, I know what the vested interests are, and I'm sure John Delaney is sending me a bad text right now. But <laughs> from an American outsider perspective, um, Jonathan, I think that that is something that people really need to consider a little more down the road. Never underestimate the peacemaker that is Roy Keane, a very popular favourite here in Cork <laughs> to take over Keane the role. <laughs> Can I just say, just before we finish up, we've talked a lot about Syria in the last couple of weeks, and you were talking about the yeah. way New York has gone very liberal. I came across this quote from a guy in Fox News. I didn't know. KT McFarland. This is the quote. He said, in one of the most high deft diplomatic manoeuvres of all time, Russia's President Putin has saved the world from near certain disaster. And he did so without the egotistical but incompetent American president or his earnest but clueless Secretary of State. You know, that's real hyperbole stuff. But doesn't he have a little bit of a point that America marched up to the top of the hill before they were made march back down again on Syria? Yeah, well, I wouldn't say America per se. I would say the Obama administration. Obama went way far out in front of this without, and you could say to his credit, he did not pay attention to the polls. He didn't do any polling on it. He did what he thought was right. The American people, by and large, have re- reacted, and so, has their, so have their representatives reacted by saying, no way. We just went through a decade of endless war for what? We, are not, we, do not, we cannot be the world's policemen. We don't want to get involved in this. It's horrible what happened to the people in Syria. 
But you know, you, I, I think Obama, we, I watched the speech the other night, the address to the nation, and it, it, there's no other way you could see it other than a climb down. He just realized that he said he will not go to Congress because this diplomatic effort is out there. Uh, Jonathan, he's not going to go to Congress because he will lose. It, you have, it's the first time in living memory that liberal, Republic, liberal Democrats and conservative Republicans gr- agree on one issue. This is the issue. They don't want to get involved in this. As terrible as everybody thinks, and I still find this such an incredible hypocrisy that, you know, if you believe the numbers of more than 1,000 Syrians were gassed to death, and this is horrific, and yet more than 100,000 have died in the last few years, and more than 2 million people are refugees, and we didn't get upset about that. So it doesn't make any sense.